all of a sudden I have to feel bad about wanting to be proud of being a man. It's a it's a it's topsy turvy time, and I'm not going to go down quietly. That's for certain. And I took all the uncomfortable slander from my wife's friends, from my daughter's friends. I took it all, but I never wavered. And there's something in doing that, that even if they're repelled because society is leaning that pressure on them, they respect it. And once you have somebody's respect, you don't need anything else. I don't need approval. There's a virtue in selfishness. I achieve not because I want to give, but because I want to be able to. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to Cyberman Podcast, where we aim to make men masculine again. I'm your man, Nikki Ballou, and we have a very special guest um, lined up here for you today. Uh, Sean Thompson is a um, very popular uh, talk show host of the Sean Thompson Show. He's a lifelong capitalist and entrepreneur, and uh, he's a man's man and a champion for America and Americanism. Welcome to the show, Sean. I'm very happy to be here. I have to tell you, it's very flattering. I appreciate the invite. Well, brother, you had me on your show, so it's an honor for me to yes. come back. And did you ever think we'd be in a time when, when, when having the attributes that made you an entrepreneur, that made you a good husband, a good father, were under attack like they are today? And it wasn't until you mentioned to me that you do a show like this that I thought, you know, it's really a good time to have a show like this. Because being free-willed, being, being strong-willed, and doing the job we were born to do is all of a sudden under attack. And I've got people that couldn't last five minutes in our world telling me how to act. Where were you when my bills had to be paid? All of a sudden, I have to feel bad about wanting to be proud of being a man. It's a, it's a it's topsy-turvy time, and I'm not going to go down quietly. That's for certain. Not going to go down at all, brother. The uh, No. The... The great Ronald Reagan was once asked, what is your stat strategy for prosecuting the Cold War? And he said, prosecuting the Cold War? And he said, yeah, well, you know, it's been going on for the last 40 years. There's been presidents, every president since Truman has been involved in this. He said, yeah. well, you know, in his awesome voice, Reagan, well, here's the strategy. We win, they lose. Yeah, That's exactly win, right. They lose. And I just yeah. thought, damn, that man got it. Right. We win, yeah. they lose. So he was fighting our external enemies. But I think Donald Trump is correct. America's biggest threat today aren't its external enemies. It, it's its internal enemies. And the internal Beyond enemies the shadow of are the enemies of freedom. And one of the first things that they've done is they've attacked manhood and masculinity. Well, why? Because they're not afraid. Our enemies aren't afraid of the fight coming from women. They're not afraid of the fight coming from children. Or the elderly, they're afraid of military age males. Males kind of from teenagers to their mid-50s, early 60s that are in good shape and think independently are the biggest threat to the forces of darkness. And so the, the Sovereign Man podcast exists because we believe that 
There's a lot of good men out there who are lost, who don't know how to be men right now. And we aim to have a place for them where they can have a conversation with other men, a masculine conversation. Listen, you don't get to have a masculine conversation in too many places these days. You certainly can't have it with your wife. You know, that's not a good idea. It's not going to work too well with her. You certainly can't have it inside your family. If you got kids under the age of 18, maybe if you got boys, but if you got girls, no way. Mickey, I do all that, brother. I do all that. These days, you can't have it at work, right? I mean, at work, you got to be careful what you say and what you don't say for our laws, unless you, you, even when you own your own company, sure, you got some freedom, but you, you, you still have to deal with the public and you have to deal with, uh, with members uh, of uh, the opposite sex. And hey, you got to treat women like women. You can't treat them like men. But when you're around no. men and you get to have a masculine conversation, masculine camaraderie, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like yeah. it. That's what I say. But I agree with you. But I, I got to tell you, I do that. I'm married 23 years. I'll be 24 in November. I've got two girls. And it's a funny thing, Nikki. I've never changed anything. I take the heat, the uncomfortable conversations. Oh, you're a pig and the rest of it. I take it. But you know something? I make my dent. And it's funny to watch my daughters who are now women. It's funny to watch how that has affected their selection. My kids are in their, I got my, my oldest is in her young 20s. My other one is 19. They will not tolerate the new generation of this quasi-female that is passing themselves off as male. So the, the men that they attract are attracted to, for the most part, are just like me. So it worked. And I took all the uncomfortable slander from my wife's friends, from my daughter's friends. I took it all, but I never wavered. And there's something in doing that, that even if they're repelled because society is leaning that pressure on them, they respect it. And once you have somebody's respect, you don't need anything else. I don't need approval. I need, I need your respect. And you'll respect me. And that's just the way it works. So it worked out good for me. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. Listen, brother, it's hard to stay married 24 years and have the kind of personality that is like us. It's difficult to do that. But if you choose in the beginning wisely and you have the hardest standards for yourself, anything can work. I have the hardest standards for myself. My wife calls me this and that. I think, man, is she right? Did I let her down? Did I do something wrong? And if I'm certain I didn't, I stay fast. And it works. And, you know, 24 years is 24 years. And uh, the kids, I don't agree with them. I'm not their friend. My daughter swears at me. I, You'll do it this way. You know, and I stay to, to it. Now, I let her do stuff that I think, oh, I would never let you do because you love them. Ultimately, everything you do when it comes to your family is love. But the, I think the misconception people make is that they're looking for the opinion of strangers. I don't give a rip what the guy who's parking his truck next to me thinks of me. I don't care. But he's going to treat me like a man. He's going to respect me. And we're going to have a problem. And that's has to be what 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 is in your character, in my opinion. I'm not a hard guy where I start fights with anybody. I don't do that. But I will not walk away from them. And I think that's something you you people know when they meet you. I feel that way. You know, I'm not Sean, looking for approval. And I'm not, you know, that, that sets the tone. Yeah. You know, Sean, I like everything you've said. And I, I'd like to unpack some of what you've said because there's a lot there. And I think there's value in unpacking some of this. So let's talk about how to father your daughters correctly. So 
Um, there's a man by the name of Justin Sterling. He started the, the Sterling Institute of Relationship, and he runs a couple of programs, one called Sterling Men's Weekend, the other one called the Sterling Women's Weekend. And one of the things he says is that a job of a father to daughters is to model for them the kind of man that they should marry. That's his job. He should be the kind of man that he would want to see his daughters marry. And he wants to father them in such a way that they wouldn't tolerate anything else. They wouldn't tolerate, uh, you know, like you said, these quasi-feminized men uh, of the modern age. And I'd like to have you unpack that. What does that look like for you day to day over the course of having been a father for the last 20 odd years? I'll give you a daughter. prime example. My, my, my daughter just celebrated her 22nd birthday yeah. on April 15th. And tomorrow will be my 22nd day of not having a drink. And I'll tell you why I did that. Because I was like all of us when we grew up. What did you do when you went out? You wanted to make money and score girls. It's all I ever thought about as a kid. I want to make as much money as I can and sleep with as many women as I can. I knew that was my character. I went out. I have great friends. We start. I have the baby. She's three days old. I go out. I start drinking. Next thing you know, you're hitting on girls. You're starting fist fights. I thought, and, and my, I, I went home. I don't know what time I got home. Drunk. You know, and I didn't go out every day like that, but I worked hard and I went out on Friday nights. I want to, this is Saturday morning. Here's my wife right out of the hospital. The baby's as big as a peanut. She says, is this the kind of father you're going to be? And I, I said, I can't watch the baby. I was that hungover. My niece came, who was funny at the time. She was 18. I said, I'm never going to drink again. She said, yeah, right. Well, now here she is. She's almost 40 years old, 40 years old. And I, 42. And I haven't had a drink since she's got three kids of her own. Because I knew I couldn't be a good dad if I broke my own rule. It's not my wife's rule. It's my rule. And it's funny as the years go by, my wife would say, well, you're not an alcoholic. Come on, we're going to have a drink, have a glass of wine. Just to me, something that's simple. And I think that set the trajectory of how I was going to be a father, right? Because I did that because I knew it was harming me. I didn't do it for my wife. I didn't do it for my daughter. I did it for me. See, first, there's a virtue in selfishness. I achieve not because I want to give, but because I want to be able to. And it's that virtue that I judge myself the hardest with every month. You know, so Nikki, I don't watch a sporting event. I don't know what a, I don't know who won the Super Bowl. I don't know who, I don't give a rip. I think that's the downside of men in America. They know more about strangers than they know about their kids. They know more about statistics of freaking games, men in tights chasing balls, than they know about policies and that are destroying our society. Because to your previous point, what damaged our country could never have been done by a foreign military. It could only be done by the American parties that destroyed the ability for men to be free. And think about now as tax day. Give 60% of your income if you know how to do freaking math. By the time you figure out sales tax and all the rest of it, tax on utilities, how much of, of your income is you? And we let that creep back into our life slowly from politics. Well, we were watching freaking sports. I don't give a rip about these kids that are playing sports today. And listen, that's not a popular thing among men. You know how many times my own friends, what are you, what the hell's the matter with you? You don't want to watch. Because I think that's a distraction of what I should be focused on, whether it's making money or whether it's being aware of policy. So to this day, 
I don't drink and I don't watch sports. You and know, you've got me on a show about masculinity. How How's the irony in that? I don't drink either. In fact, I've never had a drink in my life. I'm 55 years old. But uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I do watch sports. Both my, my boys play sports. Uh, my one son, uh, my 15-year-old son, he plays uh, hockey, double-A goalie here in Canada. And my older boy plays soccer. Uh, and he's 17. Uh, so... I think it's um, wonderful for my boys to be involved in sports because sports brings out the best in them, teaches them about getting along. You're with right. Kids, working I played sports. Boys. I played them all. I got I, even in, in first year of college, but I'm just saying what I do as a man, my hobbies now are not around that. But if I had sons, maybe I would be more involved in sports, but I had daughters. And for me, I wanted to do the best I could to be an example for them. When they were young girls and we went on basketball, I was the coach of the team and all of that. But I didn't make that a priority in their lives. I never forced them. If it would have been organically, I would have supported it. But I wanted to just, I wanted, I knew what was happening here in America from when I was young. I worked at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and I watched through the 80s and 90s how being good at making money was demonized, how it was attacked and all of the attacks on, on even like what, what our main topic is masculinity. You have to see the culture here in America, specifically Chicago. Now you see the results on the news. It's an example of how not to run anything and, and they're wallowing in their failure. So I knew I was going to have to afford to have that palm tree behind me. And you can't do that if you're not aware of what's happening. So I went forward with that. Well, it, it, you know, I want to come back to the fathering daughters because this is a very interesting conversation. But you talk about Chicago. Chicago just elected a new mayor who's an out-and-out -out racist, an out-and-out oh, yeah. out racist. Like, yeah. they, he doesn't even try to hide his racism. Um, and he is also an out-and-out -out Marxist, right? Out-and-out -out communist. And the other day, the Democrat Party announced they were going to do their national convention in 2024 in Chicago. And there were four days of riots in the city and the city oh, was I... being burned down uh, and looted. And I was there. I left Sunday night. I was there through it. The new mayor my... that said we shouldn't be too hard on these young people. Are you out of your mind? There was an actual insurrection or riot going on in your city, you know, and you're saying we shouldn't be too hard on the people that Mickey. perpetrated it. He's nuts. You know how that happened? That happened because people thought there was a such there was a pushback party. There isn't. There's cohorts in corruption in Chicago. All right. So the Republican Party, nobody knows what the hell that is. And this is why, if you remember when I interviewed you on my show, yeah, you, you we said you use the word conservative. You know, I reject that word because if you believe in those principles of Americanism, if you believe in the sovereignty of man. And that you reject collectivism. You're the liberal. I'm the liberal. I'm the real liberal. We've allowed these Marxists, these socialists, these communists to hide in the Trojan horse of liberalism. And they use it as a virtue shield. And through that virtue shield, they implement their policies of corruption. You see, the skinny is socialism doesn't work. They don't have one policy, but it's a mafia builder. Marxism is the enforcement tool of the socialist, which ultimately devolves into a fascistic society, which we've lived through for three years now in a bipartisan fashion. 
Politicians took men and women of freedom and told them, you can't leave your house. You got to put this rag on your face. Are you out of your freaking mind? How does that happen? It happens because we lost our philosophy. We allowed communists and mafia members to hide under a virtue shield of liberalism for society. And nobody wanted to say, you don't have one fracking policy, not one that ever worked 50% the way you sold it to anybody. Sit in a corner with a dunce cap on and shut your freaking mouth. Let the men run things and women of character, of principle, because they're selling a freaking lie. And that's why in Chicago, you, he's a racist. This is all well known, but he's got clout. Otherwise, you'd never know his name. He's the, the overlords of the mafia. Her name is Tony Prackwinkle, and she, she looks better in a suit than most men. This woman is a mafia don because they share that philosophy of they, they, the virtue of socialism. We're gonna, and in the meantime, they are the architects of the ghetto. I worked in that city every day of my life from 1987 to 2005. What happened in those years was deliberate. It was intentional because government is the only industry in the world that profits from failure. Their goal is not success. Their goal is failure with lipstick on it. That's what they're doing. And they gain more power and more control of our money from it. So to think of them as, oh, we have the same goal. We just have different ways to get there. That's the mistake. They have a different intention. And they must be rejected. So I realized in these Democrat sewer states, these mafia controlled areas, you have to get the hell out of there where you still have mobility and you shore up the good states. Now, you could see I picked Florida, but there's a reason they protect it. Canada is heartbreaking. Where do you go in Canada? We've got a lot of Canadians here. They can't even stay here for more than six months. They have to go back, even if which is more evidence. You're a slave in these nations. You're a slave. You just walk around and think you're free. These are just words. If you don't have it, recognize it and go to where you have it. To me, because I can strengthen Americanism here in Florida and 20 other states. But in these Democrat mafia states, they've got the ignorance and arrogance and they've got the sales pitch of utopia. Can't beat it. Yeah, no, no question about it. No question about it. And Florida is a is is a really fascinating case study of the allure of freedom, right? I mean, in 2018, um, Ron DeSantis barely won election as governor, like by yeah. thirty thousand votes. Then um, COVID comes along, and this man stood head and shoulders above any political leader in america certainly i i would say in most of the free world and he starts to just convert people in florida who were you know democrats in their voting history but still americans still want believe in freedom and they go oh no no we we got to vote republican and then from all over america about three four hundred thousand people in the last few years flocked to florida and Florida goes from being the quintessential purple state to being the reddest of the big red states. Like, Mickey, I'm a real estate. I'm a real estate broker, and that's where I practice. And I was in Illinois, where I grew up, and for six years back and forth. And I would tell people, "Hedge yourself. 
because the, the the financial aspect of what Democrats do is they erode your home value and they massively raise your property taxes. The first thing they do is break the ad valorem system. You don't pay taxes in Democrat areas based on value of your house. You 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 pay them based on the corruption costs of the pensions and the and and having Democrats in charge. So I started doing that, and then when COVID hit, I told my wife, "This is it now. We go down here, and that's it." Now you know Italian women don't like to leave their mother, so. I still have my place. She goes back and forth and I stay here. But I was I am on the other side. I live in Naples and I also sell real estate in Lauderdale to Miami Beach. Here I go from Fort Myers Beach to Marco Island. Right. To watch that, what you just described, evolve organically and to see people who thought themselves to be Democrats. Seven out of 10 cheer DeSantis and wear his shirts because freedom wins once people understand the argument We've allowed them to seize the language. Ron DeSantis doesn't call Democrats liberal. He calls them what they are, socialists, Marxists, communists. That's what they are. Let's stop giving them that word. You know, I wanted to start a party with my radio show. I wanted to start at the true liberal party. Don't call me a Republican if you're going to put Karl Rove, Mitt Romney, and these other scallywags of corruption in there, preaching their version of, of Fabianism of an organized collectivism where they get to be the overlords. No, I want true Americanism. I want every man sovereign. The government doesn't tell me anything. My father was a bricklayer, never made more than $17,000 in his life. And his house was his castle and he was the king. You don't hear men talk like that anymore. Because in these houses, the government's the king. They just let us live there. We're like all uh, uh, British citizens now. I don't like that. And I won't do that. Florida is different. Yeah. Subjects. I'm, not gonna, I'm, I'm a terrible subject. Subjects, right? You're a citizen yeah. of a free republic. You're a subject everywhere else. Yeah. I'm a terrible slave. And so are you. And that's why I want you to be my neighbor. And everybody watching this, you go to these states and you shore it up. Because here's another little thing that no one is talking about. There are a super majority in areas that were formerly held by Democrats, the Republican Party, which is all we have now, the opposition to the mafia are a super majority from Georgia all the way to the Keys. And there is a reason this will last. This will be the last place until they decide to go full hardcore. This is going to be a free state. Yeah. yeah. No. Amen. Amen. But never forget, we're in a country that already released its military on citizens. That's something I've, even as a kid in school, I would, I would say to myself, how, how, who's the best president? You ask any kid in America, any kid from five to, to 75, who's the best president? And they're gonna give you the name of the only one that released the military on his citizens. Now, I don't care what you wanna say the argument is, I like to do a little research so I know full well you know, 13 states abolish slavery without a shot being fired. That's that's the propaganda that wins. But if you think about it, you look you look at the tariffs of atrocity, which were tariffs on the South and all the rest of it. You see the beginning of the argument It's very similar to right now. Very similar. And they found that what sold was to be defenders of slavery, never recognizing 13 states got rid of slavery without a fight, a shot being fired. We, in our Declaration of Independence, set the tone to never have slavery. Slavery was a tradition and a relic of England that had gotten rid of it, and we were already on the track to get rid of it. I, I will say to this, beware a government 
that unleashes the military on the citizens. And decades later, that man who did it becomes the best president in the nation's history. That means they'll do it again. And it's all set up in the same fashion. Well, tell me this, okay? Going back to the conversation about fathering your daughters, because I, I, I think there's there's more I'd like to unpack there with you. Um, so you made a decision you weren't going to drink. How did you comport yourself? How did you raise your girls? What did you teach them? I taught them that pay attention to what your mother and I are doing, that we're doing everything we can to give you a better life. And that when you make a decision, it affects more than just you. And there are some decisions you can never unmake. Be afraid of those decisions. And drugs, to me, is the end. And when they were little girls, I took them to an area in Chicago ghetto by the United Center, which used to be called the stadium But when, my, when I was a kid, but now it's the United Center. And it's where drug addicts and hookers, it's where they flourish, streetwalks. My kids were little. They were terrified. I put $20 in my hand. I hung it out of the window, and a hooker came over to the car. She looked and saw the little girls. I said, honey, tell them what happens when you don't listen to your father. She had no teeth in her head, clearly hung over, clearly working. She said, I didn't listen to my dad, and look at how I have to live. My daughter was six. My other one was four. We drove home, and I went through the ghetto. And I said, this is how you have to live if you decide to do drugs. And now the only businesses that flourish in Illinois are pot dispensaries. The only businesses that flourish are gambling casinos. So I showed them what happens, how a, a decision can destroy the trajectory of your life. And that's what I did. I implemented, I showed them the result and hoped they wouldn't make the key decision. Now, can I testify before all of your audience that my 22-year-old daughter has never smoked dope? I can't testify to that. But I know she, she doesn't do anything more that costs us money because I still monitor the money and I still keep her close to me. I had friends that the kids would make a decision and they would tell them, get out and they would reject them. And now they don't know where their kids are. That was a fear of mine. So I tried to never do that. Yeah. And that was it. And, and then I just showed them and you know, it wasn't always great arguments with my wife. They heard me argue. They heard us argue, but that's all part of it. Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, the individual steps you took with your daughters were all intended to help them be a certain kind of woman as they grew up. And I'd hope, but you know, you never know. I hope, I still hope, I still worry like everybody else. Well, of course, that's part of your job as a, as, as, as yeah. a father, right? Is you, you got to keep an eye on, on your kids and you got you to gotta watch them as they go through life. And at some point, they're adults. They're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. There's nothing you yeah. can do about that, but to raise them in a particular way, to set them up so they can choose the good man, so they can choose a good future for themselves. I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. I really do. I hope, I hope, but like, you, you know, this, you got, you, you always worry about your kids. It's the worry you can never run away from. And I always wanted them to be friends with my, with my wife, because my wife is a good woman. Who's going to teach him how to be a good woman? My wife always 
works and worries and worries about everything. I picked good in the beginning, Nikki. That was the that was the key. I got half of it. I'd like to think was my my decision. I like to think all of it was my decision, but it was a different time and women were different. And yes. I'm hoping that I instilled those values in my wife, that in my daughter, where they're like her. And now all they got to do is find somebody that's loyal. And then you have to realize when you make that decision to get married, it's more than just a wife. It's a family. You're getting it's my wife is more than my wife. She's my family. Yeah. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I know, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. I, I think getting a perspective of a man's man who has daughters, because I don't have daughters, I have sons and hearing you talk about your intentions for your daughters and how you went about raising your daughters is very valuable for me to understand. And I think it's very valuable for men listening to this podcast, men who have daughters, men who maybe don't have kids yet, but could be having daughters. I think there's something for them to learn here. Your job as a father is to set your girls up to make good decisions when it comes to the man they're going to be with and when it comes to how they comport themselves in their day-to-day life. You don't want girls to have daddy issues because girls who have daddy issues are going to <laughs> smoke up, in the world. get yeah. drunk, and screw a lot of guys. Every every stripper, every hooker, every girl with problems, drug addict, they all have that one common denominator. And here's the what I took. I took a stand. I said, I'm not going to worry if they hate me or they're mad at me and i've heard that and when you hear that i'd rather get pulled out of the car by 50 gangster disciples and get my teeth kicked and it's painful but you have to be willing to hear of it because if you're not then you compromise your own standards and once you do that you're the hooker yeah too many men today seem to want to be friends with their kids and they need no. to understand that's not your job. You're not their friend. You're their father, right? Yeah. Talk to me a bit more about that. Well, th- what I did is, uh, as I grew up, my father, see, I'm from divorce. I'm a child of divorce. And back in the 70s, it was different. So they were separated for four years because you couldn't get divorced. There was no irreconcilable differences in the early 70s. So I watched my mother struggle and I struggled for money. And I knew that when you struggle for money, the stress it adds is almost insurmountable. But I had a wonderful mother, never saw my mother in a bad mood, worked three jobs. And I was brought by my grandmother's house and watched all of that. So I said, well, if I'm gonna make the decision to be married, number one, divorce is off the table. It's not even gonna be mentioned. Number two, I'm gonna have to stay in the pocket, take the shots. I'm gonna have to deliver on the money. Because I never want my kids to worry about money, which in one way was maybe a mistake. So I don't want to come on here and make everyone think I'm perfect. I might have done the other way where my kids now are like Rain Man. They think I, a Cadillac and a Snicker bar are $100 because I wanted to do. I, that's where I did the mistake. I should have done smarter with the, the, the respect for money because I grew up without it. I wanted to give it to them. And I maybe created a monster there. So in all fairness, I wasn't perfect. But the other thing is, to this day, when I argue with my college student daughter, who I argue and have argued with since high school, all I pay 
is for the home and the school. She has no debt. I pay for the home and the school. You want to spend money and you want to spend it, you go get a job. And it's funny. She called me in a panic. I had my wife in the car. She said, I owe everybody money. I said, what do you mean? She goes, all the other people, they give their kids you know, 500 to spend. I said, well, how much? I owe this kid $6. I owe that kid $8. I started laughing. So she learned the respect for money because I wouldn't give her spending money. So I got lucky on that aspect of it. But I always wanted her to know you're always going to have a house and you're always going to have something to eat, even if I make you ask me for it. So that's what I did with money. I waited until she was in college before I kind of pulled back. But I should have done it in high school. If I had to do it over again, that's what I would change. Yeah, I think that's really good. And then be aware of your the internet, man. I, I mean, at 22, my wife and I are in our 50s. And we were too old to pay attention to it. iPads were new, cell phones. We didn't put the parental stuff on it. I wasn't aware my daughter was being bullied cyberly through girls that I had brought in my house and fed. That's the other thing as a father. Never trust the friends. Sometimes I was too trusting with the friends. And I didn't realize these were the cliques that berate girls. That's where girls have it harder than boys. At least I think they do. Because when we were boys... You have a beef with somebody, you go to their house and you fist fight. You get your ass kicked and your friends. That's it. That's how it was. Those days are gone. Now even the boys act like women with the internet and all the rest of it. So it's a, it, it's harder now in all fairness. It's harder to be a new dad now than when I did it. But learn from the mistakes and recognize them. I think the worst thing I, I, I've done, even with myself, is pretend I didn't make them. Embrace the mistakes. And that's what you have to do. That's why you have to judge yourself. I brush my teeth. I try to judge myself on the day before. Yeah. You, you, you know, the, the truth of the matter is a little humility goes a long way. Uh, yeah. I, I run a men's organization myself, and I'm also doing a course with a man who mentors me in how to be a, a better man, basically. And in the course last night, he taught us a whole bunch of lessons. And it was a massive exercise in humility because I got to see four or five significant mistakes that I've been making in my life yeah, in various aspects of it that, frankly, I hadn't been thinking I've been making any mistakes. But yeah. when I went through the lesson, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is seriously screwed up. <laughs> you know, it's time yeah. for me to trying for me to adjust my behavior in in this fashion. Um, and I got to say that as a father, I'm far from perfect. I screw up a lot. I, I'm raising sons. For me, it's important that my boys don't grow up to be, uh, pussified men don't grow up yeah. to be woke. Uh, and so when societies the, wants them that way, they, it so, does, you, you got, it, so when I, when I'm having a conversation with them, when they're in the car with me or whatever, those are the lessons I'm looking to impart to them. Those are the things I want to pass on to them. So um, I'm excited uh, to be a father. I'm excited to have the opportunity to learn from my boys and to share these lessons with them. And one of yeah. the best things about this podcast is I learn from you as my guest. I'm listening to what you have to say. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes some sense. Or, you know, in some cases I go, well, maybe, maybe that doesn't make sense to me, but at least yeah. that it causes me to engage in an exercise of critical thinking is valuable. 
And I believe this podcast is valuable for men because if you're listening to this show, you might agree with Sean and, and, and I, or you might not agree with us, but at the very least, we made you think. And we say there's five pillars to being a sovereign man. Number one is financially sovereign. You got to be able to pay your bills. Number two is you've got to be uh, physically sovereign. You got to be able to, you, you know, take care of yourself, not need other people, like be healthy and fit. Number three is you got to be emotionally sovereign. You don't, you can't need people. You can't be one of these needy little bitchy men, right? No. Number four is you've got to be spiritually sovereign. You've got to have uh, an understanding of your relationship with your creator uh, and uh, how, how that helps you in the world. And the fifth is to be intellectually, mentally sovereign. You got to be able to think for yourself. So few men yeah. today think for themselves. They listen to the news. They buy into the popular narrative. It's lazy. It's plain and simple lazy. One of the reasons I wrote the book that I wrote with Wayne Allen Root, and thanks for having me on the show to talk about it, is because I want to help people think differently about how they can engage in the battle for freedom. I want to get people to, to say, yeah, I, I, I want to do this. So there's this, there's this thing I've been talking to Wayne about it. I said, let's start the $10,000 Patriot Challenge, right? So Sean, maybe we'll talk offline. Maybe you want to bring me back on the show. Yeah. But the idea, the idea is kind of like this. We, we want to get the average man and woman to take a look at their spending, buy our, our two books, the, the, the boycott and the boycott book, look at the companies to boycott that you're currently spending money with and start diverting some of your spending from them to some of the patriotic companies. Make a target for yourself to divert $10,000 of your annual spending from woke companies to patriot companies. And then Wayne's yeah. like, Okay, we're going to have to get some company to sponsor this and offer some sort of grand pies. I think that's a good idea. I got to I got to I got to reach some of these companies out and say, "Hey, you guys want to be a part of something like this?" And uh if that's the case, then awesome, we'll have somebody sponsor this. But 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 to me, what we all need to do here is get better at thinking. Thinking for ourselves. Right. Listen to smart people. But thinking critically about what they say, don't just accept whatever gets thrown your way. I had Wayne Allen Root on my show last night, ironically enough. Oh, did and you? That's was awesome. Man. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a great busy. interview. He couldn't talk to me yesterday. He said, I got all these interviews today, Nikki. Leave me alone. I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> I was uh, I was one of those. And we had a great conversation. And it was funny. Before it started, my producer said, listen, this guy's got like 52 things to do. You got to get him out. So it was a great conversation. But, you know, as I'm as you're talking, I'm thinking about the most influential people in my life. Right. And you can go to relatives and family member. But ironically, a woman was very impactful in my life. And I mean, not just my mother, who was everything to me, but the philosopher, Ayn Rand. Yes. Yes. And the virtue of selfishness is one of her books. You talked about greatest. this. That's 101. And I gave it to my daughters. And I was almost sad I couldn't give it to my sons because ironically, one of the greatest philosophers about being a man is a woman. And that goes to show you, don't close your mind. Sometimes you can learn from the most strange places. And uh, I recommend her books, every one of them to everybody. Absolutely. I mean, it's Absolutely. number one in my library. So these are things that, to be aware of and don't be afraid to think and judge yourself the hardest, the hardest. Amen. But remember, Amen. you gotta, you gotta love, 
correcting those problems because sometimes you wallow in the judgment that doesn't lead to anything. And, you know, to me, put down the dope, put down the booze. That's what I think. Amen. Amen. Sean, it's been great having you on the show and I really appreciate sharing your wisdom and in particular, what you impact about how to, how to properly and correctly father daughters and the examples that you gave. I think those are valuable. Those are gold. Everything else you said was great, but <laughs> listening you. to this show would really be wise to have a, 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 a strong listen to those segments, take some detailed notes about that and think critically about how you as a father, you've got daughters can properly father your daughters and it's not by being their best friend. That's not your job as a dad. Not, not, no. not at all. Not at all. So, and then I, when I'm mad at my when I'm mad at my wife, I always remember that's the same one that the first time I saw her, I said, "Who is that? Yeah. I gotta have it." So yeah. I try to remember that even when I want to run for the hills. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. All right, we'll catch you on the flip side, my brother. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.